growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Pilate gives voice to the question that whether whether you realize it or not, whether they realize it or not, he gives voice to the question that every single person who has ever lived on this planet ultimately, eventually, in one way or another, gets around to asking. What is truth? As you'll hear in today's message, that's a question asked of Jesus by a very important man. Today we live in a world where people are still in search of the truth. People are more and more skeptical of finding it in Washington, D.C. For sure they won't find it in Hollywood or on Madison Avenue. A significant number of people in the world today believe that truth is relative. So, what about you? How would you answer the question, what is truth? What is true about my life? Where is truth Where is meaning in my life? What is really true about life? That ultimately is the question that, as I said, everybody in one way or another, sooner or later, gets around to asking. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today, Pastor Clay is taking us to the book of John to discuss the idea of truth and its implications for eternity. A lot of people have ideas about life and death and eternity. That's part of the problem. There are so many claiming to have the truth that it makes it hard for people to recognize the real thing. But knowing the truth is vitally important for our life here and now and life in eternity. We're so glad you've joined us today for this important message on the truth. Now here's Pastor Clay. Everybody needs the truth. John chapter uh, 18, and I'm going to begin reading in verse uh, 33, and then I'll fill in the back story here in just a moment. Thank you for being here today. Verse 33. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? By the way, I think that's a very telling question that Jesus asked right there. Even in this moment where he is about to pay the sin debt for the entire world, uh, even in this moment when he has been beaten and abused and falsely accused and all this stuff, even in this moment, he's still individually concerned about a single person because he's trying to get to to where Pilate is. Pilate, are you just talking or do you really want to know who I am? Pilate, is is this coming from you or is this something that you've heard? And of course, Pilate's response tells us, Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. And therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? I know it seems like we're jumping into the middle of a story, and in fact, we are, but Jesus has been, and most of you know this, but Jesus has been going around Israel for 
three, three and a half years now, he's been ministering to people, he's been performing miracles, he's been teaching, and he has, he has gathered a, a group of men and women uh, who have come to believe that he is the Messiah. Uh, he is the, the, the Christ. He's the Savior of the world. They, they've come to believe that. As, as we know, if, we, if you know the story, they may not have understood the full implications of what all that meant for them, but he had gathered a group of people that had come to believe that he truly was the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah. He had also managed to gather quite a few people that became enemies of his. He had, he had gathered a following of enemies, very powerful enemies, the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And it's, maybe it's hard for us to kind of understand that in a, in a democracy and all that kind of stuff, but, but the religious leaders of that day in Israel carried a, a great amount of, of, of weight and influence, and they had a great amount of power. Uh, perhaps not quite as much as they once did since now they were, they were under the influence of the, of the Roman world and having to answer to them, but still they were very powerful in the nation of Israel. And uh, Jesus uh, comes along, and it's, it's kind of easy to see uh, why these people didn't like him very well, because he basically uh, says to the people, what the religious leaders have been teaching you is wrong. It's a lie. It's not true. The religious leaders had, had emphasized the fact that you had to come to God the way they said you had to come to God. You had to, uh, you had to do the things they said that you had to do. You had to go through them to essentially to get to God. And, and Jesus comes along and says, that's not, that's not true. That's a lie. Jesus essentially says to the people, you don't need a religion about God. You need a relationship with God. And, and the Jewish religious leaders hated that message. They hated it. And so, therefore, they hated the messenger. They hated Jesus for this message. And so they, they get together and they come up with a plan. And again, I know most of you are familiar with this, but they come up with this plan and they come and they arrest Jesus at night where, where the people aren't around because in many respects he was popular with with many of the people. They come and arrest him at night. They trump up some false charges. Uh, they... they condemn him and sentence him to death, but they have to go through Pilate because, as I said, the Roman Empire was in charge of much of the world at that time, including Israel, and they would give each nation some bit of sovereignty in some respects, but, but they still had to go through Pilate. And so they come to Pilate to get Pilate to condemn Jesus to put him to death. He eventually does, but before he does... He engages in this conversation with Jesus about who he was. As we read a moment ago, Jesus clears that up pretty quickly. But in the, in the course of it, Jesus makes a, a statement that really gets to the core. It gets to the, it gets to the heart's desire of every man, woman, boy, or girl who has ever lived on this earth. When he says uh, there in the la latter part of verse 37, for this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And in response to that statement, Pilate gives voice to the question that whether, 
whether you realize it or not, whether they realize it or not, he gives voice to the question that every single person who has ever lived on this planet ultimately, eventually, in one way or another, gets around to asking, what is truth? In other words, what is true about my life? Where is truth found? Where, where is meaning in my life? What is really true about life? That ultimately is the question that, as I said, everybody in one way or another, sooner or later, gets around to asking. You might not ask it when you're six. Maybe you don't sit around and contemplate and think, wow, what is the meaning of life? But at some point, I'll guarantee you do, whether you're in, in a, sitting in your dorm room and then your sophomore year in college or whether you're going through a particular bad point in your life or a strain in your marriage or a hardship financially or, or something, sooner or later that question begins to come back to us. Life, what, what is this about? What is, what is the meaning of this? Where is hope and, and fulfillment and peace and contentment? Uh, where is this stuff? Why are, why are so many of us searching, always searching, but never seeming to find this thing in life? Everybody needs truth. I, when I was putting this together, and I, you know, some of y'all know I'm a golfer, and so I began to think about uh, Tiger Woods. Uh, this guy who was wildly successful in his career, wildly successful in his career, has more money than, than you and I can really even comprehend, I think. This, Fame, so, there's virtually no place on the planet that guy could go that he would not be known in some form or fashion, would not be recognized by somebody. Fame and fortune, his golf game at one point was as close to perfect as the game of golf will allow. And you know what? It wasn't enough. It, it, it wasn't enough for him. He had a beautiful wife and lovely children but it wasn't enough. He went chasing after dozens, maybe hundreds of other women. He went through fortune monies in unbelievable ways. His, his game, as I said, was as near perfect as it could be, and yet it wasn't enough. He wasn't, he, he wasn't satisfied with what it was. I remember reading this account one time in the 2000 United States Open. Tiger Woods, most people consider it the greatest, uh, the greatest display of golf in the history of golf, 2000 United States Open. That Tiger Woods won by an astounding like 12 shots or something like that. The day before his final, the night before his final round, it's on a Saturday night, he went to his coach, called him or went to him or whatever, and he says, listen, there's a little something in my swing. If something's not quite right, I, 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 we come out here to drive away we've got to work on this. I want it. And, and his coach looked at him, Butch Harmon looked at him and said, are you insane? You're seven shots ahead in the United States Open. I'm not touching your golf swing. But that was Tiger Woods. It was never enough. He was never satisfied. It always had to be something more. And eventually, he pushed his body until it began to break down. And most of you heard in the last couple of months, he was arrested uh, for driving under the influence of, of uh, prescription drugs and in a drug rehabilitation center. And all, you understand what I'm saying? It's never enough. Where, where is this found? Everybody needs truth. That's what I'm saying to you. Everybody Need truth. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter what country you're born in or what language you speak. Everybody needs the truth. There's another pretty famous rich guy in the Bible, King Solomon, the book of Ecclesiastes. He says this. He says, anything I wanted, I would take. 
I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, say it, it was all meaningless. It was all meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. I think the, the King James in one place puts uh, vanity of vanities. All is vanity, Solomon said. It's empty. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't satisfy. That's what I'm saying. It, it, there's been a lie perpetrated. We'll get to that in a moment. But, but everybody's looking in all the wrong places. Everybody needs the truth. And whether you realize it or not, even here today, you need the truth in your life. But here's something that you need to understand. Second idea that you need to understand. Somebody wants to keep you from the truth. And to see that, we're going to switch from John 18 over to John chapter 8. Turn to John chapter 8, if you will. And we're going to start in verse 37. Somebody is trying, somebody wants to keep people from the truth. John chapter 8, um, start in verse 37. Y'all there? I know that you're Abraham's descendant. This is Jesus speaking. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. Watch this. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. Abraham didn't try and kill me. You're doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. By the way, that may have even been a little slap at Jesus because one of the rumors that circulated about the birth of Jesus was that Mary had fooled around with a Roman soldier. And that's how she got pregnant that's probably a little backhanded slap we not born of fornication we have one father God and Jesus said to them if God were your father you would love me for I proceed forth and have come from God for I have not even come of my own initiative but he sent me why do you not understand what I am saying it is because you cannot watch this you cannot hear my word you are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whoever he, whatever, whenever he speaks is a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you're not of God. Again, easy to see why those people did not like Jesus. He wasn't, he wasn't sugarcoating it. He wasn't, uh, you know, kind of easing into it. He was straight up in their face about it. Because, listen to me, there's more at stake than, than hurt feelings. He's not concerned about hurting their feelings because there's more at stake than hurt feelings. This is about their eternal destiny. This is about heaven or hell. And so he puts it right to him and he says, you're of your father, the devil. Which I suspect didn't go over real well. Nobody likes to be called a child of the devil. 
especially religious people, right? But Jesus said, you, want to know, you don't know what? You, know, you want to know why you can't understand my message? Because you're, you're not of God. You're of your father, the devil. What Jesus is referring to is this sin nature that, that all of us, not just them, but all of us are born with this, this bent toward, toward rebellion from God. And, and the desire to turn away from him. And Jesus, because they, you, you, can't, you, you won't receive what I'm saying to you. You won't hear what I have to say. And so he's referring to this sin nature and about this enemy, this real enemy who is working and manipulating and causing and changing and doing whatever he can to, to keep people from the truth. I'll explain in a minute why he so desperately wants to keep them from the truth, but it starts with a realization for you and me, every person in this room, every person who will listen to this message, it starts with the realization that there is a real enemy and that that enemy wants to keep people from the truth. And the truth is, everybody has rebelled against God. Everybody has sinned. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. It doesn't, there's an enemy trying to keep people from the truth. And he doesn't care what he has to use to keep people from the truth. You understand that? If, if, if he needs to use money or the love of money, he'll use the love of money. If he needs to, to use hardships and difficulties to cause people to turn away from God, and I've seen that in people's lives, then he'll use that. If he, if he, needs, to use, if he needs to use drugs, if he needs to use uh, position or power, if he needs to use fame, whatever it is, he will use it to keep People from the truth. He's real. And this is serious. Some of you are probably uh, familiar with the tragedy that occurred uh, a number of months ago right here at this intersection where a young lady was involved in an automobile accident with, with another car and um, she got out of the car and wandered off in the night and they found her the next day she had, had died. Young High school, I think she was a senior, went to this school right here. And I, I never did hear, I don't know whether she died from her injuries or from exposure or, or, or what it was, but they didn't find her until I think it was the next day or, or the day after that, and they found her down in the woods. You may not know all of the story, though. You see, a memorial was set up for that young lady at the end of the street, right over where Brad and Sandy Lane lived, just across the street here, um, because that was very near where they found the young lady. And a young man, her brother, uh, would go down every day and just sit down at that memorial, just torn apart that his sister had, had died. He and his sister were very close. And um, uh, Sandy had the opportunity to reach out and minister to that young man. And she, she tried to do that. And as she did that, she managed to get him to agree to, uh, to meet with me uh, in his despair, in his grief. And so I went over there. I drove down to the end of the, the street over there. Uh, and, and got out and sat down and talked with this young man for a, a good a bit of time. And he talked a lot about his sister and, and, and how much he loved her and how special she was and what a great person she was and, and all this uh, kind of stuff. And he eventually got into his own life, which people eventually will do if you let them talk long enough. He had to talk about his own life and what a mess his own life was. And, and he, had, he had struggled mightily with drug addiction and 
I think he'd been in and out of some drug rehab places. Uh, he, he, he said, I, I, I can't hold my job. I can't lose, I've lost my job because I can't get to work because now I'm having to walk to work and it's too far and I can't get there in time. And I'm, he, I'm being thrown out of my house and uh, I, can't, I don't know where I'm going to live and there's a guy trying to kill me because of some deal we made. And, there's, and he just, on, just, just, the, just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy of this guy's life. And so I... I exposed him to the truth. I, I, I told him that his life would never make sense. It would never come together. It would never uh, be anything whatever he imagined it could be. It would never be that until he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And they understood that God loved him and that he sent his son to die for him. And I walked him through the gospel. And he would sit and he'd listen and he'd get up and he'd walk around a little bit more. And, and then he'd come back and sit down and he would just kind of nod his head and he would listen. And I would talk to him some more about it. And eventually he said, listen, can you just give me a ride back over to my house? And so we got in my vehicle and we drove back over to his house and I dropped him off. I guess kind of hearing what I was saying, but not really hearing what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? Kind of like what Jesus was just saying to them. You know, you, you're not hearing me. Is what he said. You're not hearing me. You're not hearing what I'm saying to you. They were hearing, but they weren't hearing. A few weeks after that, it came out that the that they discovered whatever toxicology report that the young lady was under the influence of alcohol and that that's why she wrecked. And it turned out that the young man that Sandy tried to minister to and I was talking to, that he had apparently provided the alcohol for his underage sister and her friends. And in the guilt and the grief, in the lie, in the lie that told him that he was a worthless good for nothing, that young man hung himself. They found him dead fairly recently. Listen, this, this, this is for real, folks. This is for This is the enemy. This is what he wants to do. He wants to destroy lives. Do you understand? In the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 6, it says, The final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, you see, what Paul's saying? There's more to this. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This is, this is spiritual warfare. First Peter 5.8, Peter confirms the same thing. Be sober and alert. Your enemy, the devil, like a roaring lion, is on the prowl looking for someone, looking for some life to just consume, just devour there is an enemy that wants to keep you from the truth. Keep people from the truth. But here's the last idea I want to give you this morning. Anybody can have the truth. Everybody needs the truth. Somebody's trying to keep people from the truth, but anybody can have the truth. Move it up to verse 31 of chapter 8. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had uh, believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you what? Say it again. Say it like you mean it. The truth will make you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. Well, number one, that's a lie. They spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt. But anyway... We're Abraham's descendants, and we've never yet been enslaved to anyone. Is it, how is it that you say you will become free? 
And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. You will be free indeed. I know, again, I'm working backwards in this text. I'm working up in the text. But that's because Jesus would sometimes do this in his, in his teaching uh, style. He would, he would make a statement. He would, he, he would make a declaration. And then, uh, depending on how the people would respond, he would go into depth as he went on into the conversation about what the problem was. The solution is that anybody can have the truth. I, I, I'm blown away by this this statement that Jesus makes really not once, but twice. When he says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you or set you free. He essentially says the same thing again in verse 36 when he says, and if the Son, therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. That's the truth. And like I said a moment ago, the, the enemy, the devil, Satan, is trying to keep people from the truth he's trying to keep them from the knowledge that they can be set free that's what it is that they can be set free now we know why he's trying to keep people from the truth because the truth sets lives free it sets people free from bondage to to sin and bondage to satan and bondage to religion and bondage to worldliness and bondage to to drug addiction and bondage to to financial strains and but he sets people free he has the power to set people free from all of it this is getting to the root of where it's all eventually found this life is found in the truth and jesus said that's why i've come i've come to give you this to set you free and so satan tries to keep people from that very message but that's why he had come listen to me. that is why now you listen to me That is why, Lord willing, 17 people are going to get on a plane this afternoon and fly to JFK and then to Lima, Peru. Because there are people in Peru that have never heard the gospel, never a clear gospel presentation. Some of them have never heard the gospel. And so that's why they're going. By the way, man, you can still be a part of that, that process. We've got people, seven, I think it's, I was telling Brad earlier, I think it's the biggest team I've ever been a part of that sent out 17 individuals. And listen, I'm not uh, bragging on y'all, but I am kind of bragging on y'all. There's a lot of churches a lot bigger than us that that won't send 17 people down here or 13 people last week to Boston or more than a dozen a a few weeks ago down to Tarboro to build houses. And and, and so that's what we have to do. That's, That's what we have to do. That's why this church has to grow. We have to, we have to engage the community around us. We have to engage our coworkers and our friends and our neighbors. We have to encourage them and share with them what Christ has done in our life. We have to invite them to come. We have to be a part of this, this process because they need to know that they can be set free from whatever it is, the bondage that they're in life. And listen to me, do not kid yourself. Whatever life you look at that's a life outside of Christ, however much you look at somebody... And and even a life in Christ, okay? Listen, everybody's got something. There's stuff that you may think people have got their stuff together and everything's perfect and there's whatever. There's always something. And God has sent His Son to set people free from the bondage to all of that stuff. That's why we sent 13 people to Boston to engage in a church plan up there and to, to share 
the love of Jesus in a tangible way and, and, and draw kids in through soccer camps and basketball camps and, and through acts of kindness. That's, that's why we went down and built houses, construction. Uh, some of us who have very little construction ability went down there and we engaged in this stuff and it was hot and it was... That's why 17 people are getting on the plane. and go, We have to do this, folks. We have to do this. You understand? We have to do this. You can be a part, should be a part of it here, there, and everywhere. That's the way we like to, to say it. Uh, again, I want to encourage you. If, if, if you can't go to Peru, we've got people that still could use some financial help going to Peru. They, they've worked extra hours. They've saved. They've scrimped. They've cut. They've done everything else. Uh, but it, it takes a good bit of sacrifice to go down there and do this. And they're going because God has asked us to go and share the messages, to go here, there, and everywhere. If you want to have a part, if you want to help uh, fund somebody that's, that's leaving in a little while, you want to help pay for that, talk to Kimberly Jones or Jennifer, uh, write out a check, put on there for Peru trip, bless somebody, help, help make that possible for some of them because they've worked hard. Most of them worked hard at it. And it's like I told somebody recently, it's okay to sacrifice uh, to, to go and engage. and It's okay if we have to sacrifice for that, but it's also okay if the people engage in the process and say, listen, I can't go, but you know what? I can give 50 bucks. I can give 100 bucks. I can, I can help fund somebody's way to go down there. That's what we have to do because the truth sets people free. Now, here's what you need to know real quickly about uh, the truth. First off, the truth is personal. It's what you have to understand. The truth is personal. The truth is, is not a, a what, ultimately, really, it's a who. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And, and knowing the truth, knowing Jesus, sets people free. You probably know this verse, John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You see, it, it, it's that Religion versus relationship thing that I talked about earlier. This is the difference right here. Not just knowing about Jesus, but knowing him in an intimate, personal way. The truth is personal. Second, the truth is accessible. As I've already said, it doesn't matter whether you're born in Peru or born in the United States or born anywhere else. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter uh, what the color of your skin is. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It doesn't matter how rich you are or how poor you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are or smart you don't think you are. None of that stuff matters. The gospel, the good news, the truth is accessible to who? Come on, to who? Everybody, everybody has access to the gospel. Maybe you've read this verse before, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, say it, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Acts 2, 21 says this, and it shall be that, say it, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans ten thirteen. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. 2 Peter uh, 3.9 The Lord is not slow about His promises. Some count slowness, talking about His return. But is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The truth is accessible. Please listen to me. I, I, and I've talked to people before. Maybe somebody listening to this. Maybe somebody sitting out there today that thinks... Yeah, I hear you, but you don't know the deep, dark sin of my life. You don't know the stuff I've done. I don't 
I don't get it out. I don't parade it around. I put on a face. And I, you don't know the depth I've been to in my sin. You're right, I don't. But God does. He did before you ever even committed that sin. He knew it. And he had already sent his son to die so that you might be redeemed. The, the truth is accessible. Third, I think this is third, the truth is transformational. The truth is not just information. It's not just informational. It's transformational. You can't know the truth and not be changed by it. You can't know Jesus and not be changed by him. That's why Jesus says there in, in verse 31 of John 8, uh, said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. In other words, if, 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 if there is transformation in your life, that's going to be the evidence that, this, that you really are my disciples, that you really do believe. That's what the gospel does. It transforms lives. And, and if, the gospel is not, and I, I know people think this way, but the gospel, the truth is not a fire insurance policy to keep me out of hell that I can stick in my back pocket and go live any way I want to live, whenever I want, however I want, whoever I want. That's not the truth. That's a lie. The truth transforms people. That's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, I'm not asking you to die. I'm asking you to live, but I'm asking you to live as a sacrifice, to lay it all on the altar for me, is what God says. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be, say it, transformed. The truth transforms people, transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will how many times in my life have i heard somebody say i just just wish i knew what god's will was for my life let the truth transform you and you will know god reveal it to you the truth is transformational and then let me also remind you this the truth is unconditional i i think this goes without saying but listen to me god god doesn't make deals okay he doesn't make deals it's you don't get to decide, well, how much, how much of my life do I really want to surrender to him uh, to get his... It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It's an unconditional surrender to him in his life. He takes your sin-stained, sin-saturated life, and he, and he takes it, and he redeems you, and he gives you a new life, but you have to surrender all of it to him. Luke chapter 6, verse 46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? This, this, is un, this, is, this is not let's make a deal. Let's not, well, I'll give the, No, it's complete, total, absolute, unconditional surrender of my life to the truth. 1 John 2, 4, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, he is a liar. Liar, look at it. And the what? The truth is not in that person. You ever had a conversation with somebody? Oh, I've had so many conversations. Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But no, I, I don't. I'm not into church. Don't go to church. No, I don't, I don't really. I don't want to be baptized. I don't follow that. No, I, I don't want to tell people. Or uh, No, I, I don't want to. So, everybody needs the truth. Somebody's trying to keep people from the truth. And anybody can have the truth. Why? Because Jesus again said in verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free 
Why the enemy fights so much? Because he does not want you or me or the people of the world to be free. What is the truth set people free from? Let me give it to you and then we'll close. First, the truth sets people free from the penalty of sin instantly. Instantly. The moment you did or will do or the moment any person acknowledges their sin, repents of their sin, which doesn't just mean that I'm sorry that I sinned, but it means to turn around and to go in a new way of life, to follow him. The moment a person trusts Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, every ounce, every bit, all of the sin that they have will ever commit was all redeemed and paid for at the cross. All of it. All of it. You and I have a struggle forgiving forgiving ourselves about things that we have done. God has no problem with it at all when we come to him and repent and turn it over to him. And you are free instantly. Think about this now. Instantly from the penalty of sin. Paul said, Romans uh, chapter 8. Now because of this, because of what Christ has done, those who belong to Christ will not suffer the punishment of sin. Isn't that awesome? Maybe, I don't know, maybe y'all haven't been as big a sinners in your life as I have been. But I, I am humbled by that statement to know that all of my sins have been wiped away and redeemed, that I've been redeemed. So the truth will set you free from the penalty of sin instantly. Secondly, the truth will set you free from the power of sin willingly. In other words, God will equip you, God will empower you as your life is transformed, as you surrender your life to Him, God God will empower you to have victory over the sin in your life. The question sometimes becomes, even in a person who's now in a relationship with Christ, am I willing to let God give me victory in this, in this particular area of my life? Look at this, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. So in other words, there's no, everybody's tempted in some different ways, and it's, people have been tempted in those ways, whatever it might be, uh, physical, emotional, uh, intellect, whatever the, the temptation might be. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape. He's not saying that you won't necessarily give in to that sin, but he's saying don't blame it on God if he does. If, if you're genuinely in relationship with him and you surrendered your life to him, he will provide a way of escape when that temptation comes into your life. Maybe it's, a, uh, uh, maybe it's lust, maybe it's a, uh, whatever it might be. The, when that comes, God in some way, fashion, shape, form, will provide a way of escape out of that that we can have victory over it. His Spirit will come, He'll bring conviction, He'll use people, He'll do whatever He would, provide the way of escape so that we, you will be able to endure it. There's this conversation in Genesis chapter 4 where God's talking with Adam and Eve's son, Cain. And Cain is mad because God has accepted his brother Abel's sacrifice, but he didn't accept Cain's sacrifice. He didn't accept Cain's sacrifice because Cain brought the wrong kind of sacrifice. He didn't bring what God had instructed him to bring. And so Cain is mad about it. If you know the whole story, you know he eventually ended up murdering his brother, the first murder ever committed. He he murdered his brother in his anger over the fact that his sacrifice wasn't accepted. And and God has this dialogue, this this personal conversation going on with Cain. And he says, will, you, will, will not your face be happy if you do well? In other words, listen, Cain, this is not complicated. This is not rocket science. If you do what I asked you and have told you to do, there, there's, no, there's no beef. There's nothing to be mad about. But watch this. Sin is waiting to destroy you. 
Sin is waiting to destroy you. Its desire, watch this, is to rule over you. But you must rule over it. You must willingly say, no, not my will. My will is I'd go down that road. I'd I'd lust after that woman or I'd covet this or I'd be greedy for that or I would do this. But not my will, God, your will. And I I release myself to his will in that moment. And, And you know what you call that? Victory! In that moment. Oh, now there's another one coming, right? There's another one coming tomorrow and the next day and the next day. They're coming. The enemy keeps coming. He keeps pounding. But God keeps bringing victory after victory after victory as we surrender to him. I I just feel, we got to sing it, right? You know, right? Yeah, some of y'all old people, right? We know it. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. Come on, y'all catch on. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Hey, give yourself a hand. That's awesome. Yeah. I wish, I wish y'all could have seen the look on the teenagers' faces back there. They're like, what? What? <laughs> they used to sing that like, victory, right? It's what he does. He brings victory. <laughs> so God tells Cain, you just you got to choose to do. You got to choose to master this thing. I'll empower you. I'll do it. But you, you, where are you in this, Cain? And then, and then this one in uh, Ephesians uh, chapter four, I think it is. So I say this, and I affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. Don't, don't do the way you used to do in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they have become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Notice how he started this. Don't, don't do that anymore, Clay. Don't act that way anymore, Clay. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth that's what the truth will do for our lives now listen to me i I got one more thing that i got to get to but i need to say this don't leave here thinking that i'm saying to you that we will reach this place in our life where we will we'll just never sin again we just won't ever we won't ever sin in this life still in this flesh you and i will still succumb at times we'll still get angry or we'll get we we will not be perfect i i I wish that in this life we could but in this life we will not be perfect but our desire is now to move away from this life i used to live that's what paul's saying is what they're all saying i'm moving away from this life that i used to live like like the jet like everybody else living right for themselves for the moment for the for the whatever i can have i'm moving away from that life and i desire now to live a life of holiness a life of godliness a life that honors god and is empowered by god and then one more You've got to leave it on a high note. One more. The truth will set you free from the presence of sin permanently. Permanently. 
Now, I just said in this life, you're still going to sin. But listen to me. It hadn't happened yet for those of us who are still here. But there is a day coming, I promise you, scratch that, God promises you there is a day coming when the presence of sin will be no more, that it will be gone, obliterated. Can you imagine? that? I, I, we can't, right? We live in such a sin-saturated, indulgent, we live in such a sinful world that it's hard to even comprehend what it would be like to live in a world where sin didn't even exist, where it didn't corrupt anything, where it didn't destroy lives, where it didn't cause me to go in this direction or do that or whatever. It's hard to imagine that world. But that world is coming. That world is coming. Revelation uh, chapter 21 or 22. Yeah, 21. I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon for the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light. Look at this. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of day because there's no night there and all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty or anything else for that matter, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Life. And that's the truth. Anybody can have it. I don't care what you've done. God doesn't care what you've done. He cares for you. And He made it possible for you to be redeemed. I'm sure y'all have all heard of the 19th century French novelist. I don't even remember his name. <laughs> remember his name. Emile Zola. What's this? Emile Zola said, If you shut up the truth and bury it under the ground, it will but grow and gather to itself such explosive power that the day it bursts through, it will blow up everything in its way. Listen to me. 2,000 years ago, Satan thought he had put the truth in the ground. He thought it was going to stay in the ground. But three days later, the truth burst forth with a power that changed the world forever. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a Savior. You will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Those are powerful words and badly needed for the world we live in today. As we saw today, everybody needs the truth for both their physical and spiritual good. But Satan is determined to keep people from the truth. He doesn't want them to discover the freedom that comes in a relationship with Jesus Christ. What about you? Do you have that freedom? We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. 
God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships, and instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.